first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. If you are involved in any business of any kind, and I don't mean like you own a business, you know, necessarily. It doesn't have to be an LLC or a corporation or anything like that. You surely understand the power and the importance and the reverence that needs to be given to marketing. And I feel that the theme of the conversation you're about to hear between myself and Starlight Skies revolves heavily around how's the right way to go about that. And not only that, but the fact that some people... Uh, who are content creators fail maybe to recognize that. And that is not a criticism on anyone. It's just a way of me telling you that this is a really, really useful episode that is so full and rich of uh, knowledge from Starlight that, I mean, you can't miss it. It's so good. <laughs> just the, the sheer amount of information that she uh, brought to the table with her to discuss this was mind-blowing. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Starlight is, she is the communications director for Dread XP. Uh, we've had Ted Hinchke on before, you know, to promote the Dread X collection and everything like that, but they've uh, they've gone so far beyond what that original conversation was now. And a lot of that can be accredited to the amazing work that people like Starlight Skies does. You know, I I got to know Alex Pixie uh, at 3D Realms when we were working on Realms Deep, and I saw the same thing. Like, you know, these people that you, you don't hear about all the time. You know, you go on Twitter, you see 3D Realms, you see the brand, you see, you know, or the spokesperson, whoever that, you know, for, for 3D Realms, that's Fred, for Dread XP, that's Ted often, but Starlight, and Alex are so integral to the success of these companies. Like they, these companies could not do what they do. Literally, the world would stop turning for their marketing if either of these two wonderful people just stopped doing what they did. And you know, every company's got someone like that, but we don't ever fucking talk about it. It's insane to me. So I jumped at the opportunity. I This is not even something I sought out. Like uh, Starlight reached out to me and said, hey, I'd love to be a guest sometime. And I looked at her story and I was just like, yes, 100%. I, I would love to hear more about that. And it was so fucking great to and refreshing to hear this wealth of knowledge 
communicated in such a articulate and easy to digest way. And honestly, when I listened back to this uh, editing it, I was like kind of blown away by some of the insights I started having. I think I literally got smarter by having this conversation with Starlight. So I hope you enjoy it too. I'm going to play some music from the Dread X collection. This is by Victor Krauss. And when it's over, you will be in the keep with Starlight Scouts. Hi, I'm Starlight Skies, and I'm the Communications Director of Dread XP. So how I became where I am today was uh, about 10 years ago, I started to do, I was in college, I learned 3D modeling for environmental art, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go into the industry, uh, make video games, and do environmental art. And then once I get in there, I realized that I wanted to try marketing and see how that went, and it like, slowly built up over time. I started Twitch streaming when I was in 2015 and I became partner within like eight months of Twitch streaming. So I got to learn how to do marketing from a game dev side and a few other companies. And then I like also did content creation. And so I got, I got like a well-rounded viewpoint of like how the industry works and how uh, from different angles. And uh, eventually that led me to JetXP. So let's actually back that up a bit further. What made you want to study games and create games in the first place well i was like struggling with like what do i do with my life right like mm-hmm. what is my purpose and and i remembered like when i was like in my late teens i used to write uh rpgs and i was like man that'd be cool to make games and then when i went to college i like actually got some skills and i was like oh i can i guess i can make games now and this that was it like i was like this is what i'm gonna do i remember the exact moment while i was doing uh 3d modeling homework in class like i was like yep this is my job. <laughs> I'm going to make this happen no matter what. Yeah. I really love exploring that idea because, you know, a lot of people go through their entire lives and never fully realize like what their passion is. And so it's really special thing when, you know, someone figures that out early enough to actually pursue it. And, you know, even to go further on that tangent, like some people get later in life and then they figure it out what it is or they're like, Oh, but I can never do that. And like, it's too late. And I think it's like never late. But yeah, it's really fucking awesome. I'm actually like kind of looking over your story a bit um, when you came into Dread X Collection. And I, I remember you tweeted when it came out that you had, you know, never actually gotten credited for a project before. What's that all about? Well, in the industry, uh, it's funny because the reason why I started doing marketing was because I was running this like local game dev group. And I'd done a lot of these, like a few communities for free. I just needed experience on like how to grow a community because no jo- no job was going to hire me unless I had experience. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't get experience, like get paid for it. So I was just like, okay, I'll just do it for free. And so I was doing these like local game dev groups. I also had a game dev group on Twitch uh, doing like getting a bunch of streamers that did game dev. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I just realized that nobody really appreciated it. So I had like my first job doing it like full time. I got like $800 a month, which was like nothing. And uh, they never finished any games. And so, of course, I couldn't get credit on them. And then it, that just kept happening where I get these jobs and they wouldn't even, they'll be like, I hate social media. I don't know anything about building a community. That's your job. And so, like, I would try to do it, but then they wouldn't actually let me do my job because they didn't understand, like, the importance of that. They just 
knew that community was important. They knew like so growing social media was important, but they didn't know why. And so that just kept happening job after job was just me uh, being downplayed and then eventually being let go because they just didn't see my value. So uh, it was just incredibly frustrating <laughs> to go through that. And also surprising because I thought that people like I saw, I appreciated it. Obviously, I knew what I was doing and I knew the importance of it. And obviously, when people see Dread XP now, how we went from almost nothing to, you know, what we have now in such a short time in a few months, like mm -hmm. I, you know. I remember at one point, Ted was like, uh, who's my business partner, <laughs> was like, you know, why are we losing like 30 followers a day? Is this bots? And I was like, no, it's just like, it's like the context of how you're putting the content together in Twitter. And I was like, just like, let me take the, the wheel. <laughs> so he did. And like, now we have uh, thousands of more followers since then. Okay. So when you look at something like that and you say like, oh, well, you're explaining it, you know, pretty quickly here, but yeah, it's the way that you're putting stuff out what is your actual analysis of that? Like why is, what, what was he doing wrong that could be improved on? Well, first of all, you, I mean, there's a, a million things with like the Twitter algorithm and also people's psychology. I know that sounds manipulative, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm just putting it out there that marketing uh, and you have to do marketing for your podcast and new blood mm -hmm. has to do marketing for their games. And so it's not an evil thing. It's simply just a way to get your message out there. So people want to actually like, get what you're trying to give to them. Like you're like, you're trying to create a value for them and you just have to figure out how to give a value to them that they will understand and like want to be a part of. And so, so what I did differently was first of all, uh, and this is like not Ted's fault at all. This is like, because it's, it's just not intuitive. Like it's actually counterintuitive. First of all, you don't retweet everybody that mentions you ever, right? You have to be very strategic about how you retweet things. You have to figure out like, who is my audience? And like, what do my, what does my audience want? And so like, I really thought about, I didn't know much about specifically the horror community because it is a very much a niche. Uh, if it's like own people, it has its own content creators, it has its own developers, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit outside of the normal industry. When I go to PAX and E3, you don't see like horror games there uh, that often. <laughs> um, I never met anyone from the blooper team myself. Uh, I have met like like gun who did a layers of fear too, like they're marketing for them, but I haven't met mm -hmm. blooper themselves. So anyways, uh, yeah. So Ted was like retweeting everybody and he was just like messaging and replying to all these people. Like he was like their best friend. And I was like, I, I've had a lot of this conversation with him. I was like, there's a huge difference between a personal brand and a company, <laughs> a brand brand. And like, if a brand brand is talking to you like a friend, unless you're like Wendy's and really good at snark, then you're going to come across as kind of weird and kind of creepy <laughs> to people because you're like, you know, why is Wendy's talking to me about, you know, this weird thing? I don't, you know, this is kind of weird. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> you don't want to get too personal on a company account. Uh, and, but you want, you still want a personality though, because if you're just, if you don't have any personality, then you're just a robot. And then people right. don't want to engage with you as a robot. But they also don't want to engage with you as a, if you t like act too much like a person. Yeah, that is very counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you're you're literally naming off like a hundred mistakes that I made probably <laughs> today. Um, but this is a, a learning opportunity for me too. So yeah. I, I'm really curious, like, what what kind of things are you thinking of? So what do you do when you take over the account? What do you do that suddenly turns it around? So what I do is first of all, for specifically, I could talk about like my personal brand versus like Dread XP because I do use like my own personal brand in order to help promote Dread XP. So like, for example, I have like gone to like dozens of conventions 
to, you know, get my face out there, to get my name out there, to just meet people and like learn things from the industry that I wouldn't learn just from the internet. Like Google's not going to tell you everything and watching the, these uh, GDC talks isn't going to tell you everything that you need to know. And so it's better to, to meet in person. Um, so with my personal brand, because I knew so many people, uh, I focused for myself on like cute animals and like giving advice about like marketing and game dev and business. And then like, a, like a occasional selfie of myself, you know? And so that was my branding and I kind of like stick to that. And so like, I won't retweet everything that people tell me about myself and like just everything I think is cool. I won't tweet out my lunch. I won't tweet out like my cat, and my dog every day, like, um, because that just confuses people when, when you do that for, for branding. And I know people are like, ew, this is so gross, like so manipulative, like some people are going to be like that. But honestly, if you don't put yourself out there and try, then you're just never going to see what works because all of this takes experimentation. For DreadXP, um, I had like this whole document of branding for them. And, and for a company, uh, again, you have to be like even more strategic of like, how you put things out there. So I was they asked me to build a like, positive community was the very first thing they asked me to do because apparently yeah. horror doesn't have that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not horror. Yeah. I, in fact, I would, in my analysis, just through what I've gone through and like talking to different people in different, you know, gaming communities on this podcast, like the horror is actually one of the more positive, like groups of people I've seen. It's, I think it's just mm -hmm. the internet, you know, where people, had this echo chamber and then they say negative things and that's what gets attention. But I don't think it's a, an issue with the horror community. I don't think it's, it, if you have any group of, you know, any number of people, right. Just call it a hundred. Yeah. You're going to have at least a couple of dipshits in there and they're just going <laughs> to be the one, you know, the people who you know are busy and have lives and all that kind of shit. They're not going to leave a comment. They're just going to move on with their day. Yeah. So it, it like makes it look like there's a lot of negativity, but in fact, it's just, indifference other than the negativity if that makes any sense yeah well i should say it like this like there's a lot of like people that like horror out there that are just like good people that just happen to like that genre right. and um and that's cool but that's very different i guess an audience is different than a community so i think you're talking okay. about i think the horror audience that likes horror in general are like really lovely people but there wasn't a discord like I was going like to horror discords and it, they were like fighting about like Silent Hill versus Resident Evil. What's the best Resident Evil game? What's the most score like goriest, scariest movie? And like they cared about all these like things and went back and forth like debating <laughs> on mm -hmm. the stuff. And then like the people like you said, the indifferent people that just wanted to make friends and like chill out like. They didn't know what to say. <laughs> they didn't have anything to contribute because they don't care. <laughs> so they would just like leave that discord or just like right. join it, but like never participate in anything. And so like building a community means like you're putting like-minded people together that actually wanted to talk to each other and make friends. And in my case, it was about specifically indie horror games because uh, horror, indie horror developers are very much most of the time solo. Um, and I, Puppet Combo does have like help like he does have people that makes games with him, but most horror people just kind of like do it on their own. Maybe one or two people. They don't go to conventions. They're not part of the, the greater industry. I don't see them having like long, you know, back and forth with like uh, Sony or Nintendo. Mm -hmm. So they kind of like, they don't even know that that stuff's available to them because they don't really talk to a lot of people in the industry to know 
like what to do to become things like Hyperlight Drifter and Cuphead and, you know, getting those kind of like big deals with companies. Uh, and, and also like a lot of stuff in horror games is like always propelled, like propelled by content creators and not like the big three consoles, if that makes sense. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like I, mm-hmm. that's the true, I don't think of just the horror community, but the independent, you know, gaming community mm-hmm. in general, a lot of them, like for instance, I had a good pal, MK Schmidt on the show oh. recently, his episode will air before yours, I think, but you know, whatever. And he, you know, he's an older guy and he's just now kind of like getting into the, you know, I'm publishing my own games thing. And he didn't even, you know, know that there was this whole community on discord and Twitter, uh, that he could interact with at all. He, like he was literally just working on this stuff alone with no contact, you know, really with anyone else that was doing the same thing he's doing. And yeah, like that, that is so true that a lot of mm-hmm. these guys are, I don't know. I don't want to make a broad brush statement about, just game developers in general, but especially indie developers, they tend to be kind of lone wolf people who don't see the value in exactly what you're doing um, that they would greatly benefit from. I have several examples of this. Uh, yeah. Uh, who was, was his name? Projab. Robert, who was working on White Hell. You know, he's kind of one of those those programmer people who's just, eh, I, I don't like communities. I don't think it's, I don't see a value in it. And I'm like, yeah, but how are yep. you going to sell your fucking game? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this many times that people, yeah. people have the attitude and they will hire me with that attitude and they expect me to just create miracles for them. And it right. takes time because it has to be organic because, okay. So let's look at the, the industry is completely different than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's so great that all of these developers like, uh, have tools nowadays to make things a lot more accessible for themselves, like Unity, Unreal, excuse me, uh, Game Maker. All of these things are a lot easier to get into more than ever before. You can like watch tutorials on YouTube. You can make like magic happen all by yourself. But the the thing is like just because there's a difference between like hobby game dev and making a commercial product. Those are very two different things. And you can like kill yourself by trying to cross those two streams. So hobby game dev is you make whatever you want and you, you know, you just don't care because it's like for yourself. Okay. And that doesn't come with anything. And so that's why itch has like all of those free games that people love. That's artistic and weird because they don't have to like charge anything because they just made it for themselves and it's out there. That's cool. Um, But if you want to make a commercial game that makes money, (laughs) you should at least try to, see if like you can do things like building community and mm-hmm. growing social media or like joining somebody else's community, like haunted PS one, or even like, like wholesome games. I, I know that's the opposite of <laughs> most people on this podcast, a uh, wholesome game community, but it's absolutely gigantic. That is a huge community. And I've seen so many people that try to take advantage of that community to propel their game forward. But they don't want to actually participate in the community. And yeah. that community does not appreciate that. Like, they're like, do you want help with like unity stuff and like getting advice? Like you have to actually talk to us and like, would be happy to do that. Just like, don't try to like use people in that way. Uh, so like, I would just say that it's not scary. Like everything is uncomfortable until it's not comfortable. If that makes sense. And so talking to other developers and joining a community can be very uncomfortable because you can make all sorts of excuses. Like, I, you know, I'm socially inept. So was I. I was also socially awkward. I was also a nerd. But I knew I wanted to be successful, so I did everything I possibly could to make that happen. And yeah. now I have the skill set that, you know, 
I'm like, whoops, you know, now I have skills and I actually know what I'm doing. And now I'm putting this all together. And uh, now I've like kind of focused on like helping other developers uh, see that this isn't so scary. I just did a talk earlier this year about the uh, mystery behind marketing. And like my talk was actually like, there is no mystery. <laughs> it, you know, everyone's just a person. <laughs> no, it's, it's really strange. Like I, I recall the first time I was ever like interviewed as the mother load. And I was asked like, uh, so what, what is it you do? And I realized in that moment, you know, cause it's like you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day and you have this gigantic set of skills that you didn't possess before. Yeah. And it's so strange. Like, and all, none of this is like, I didn't go to college. I didn't do any of that shit. I just get, became obsessed and worked my ass off to get where we are now, which is, you know, humble, but it's a place. And I'm happy to be here, but it, it is very strange. Like how, how do you, in your opinion, like take your set of skills and market that to a company? Like when you put a resume together, what does it say? Well, for me specifically, if you want to do community management uh, and, and I'm a communications director, by the way, because I don't just like manage the social media. I don't just make content. Like I actually tell people what to do. Like my job is to, to set up systems for the company, like I have to actually create uh, guidelines. And that's that's how I got the job. Uh, wasn't just like, who do you know? And like, do you know how to make a spread a Google spreadsheet? Like it wasn't like that. Right. Uh, or like, what company did you work for? And like, I did, uh, I did do stuff for companies like super hot. So I do have experience at, you know, bigger name things, uh, name brand things, <laughs> not just like smaller studios or not just things for myself. Uh, and I've done like a lot of consultation for like a lot of studios. But what I, how I got my job at DreadXP, and this is advice for everybody, is that when you're going in for an interview, and I've, I've done interviews with like companies like Double Fine and like Yacht Club that makes like Shovel Knight and stuff, is that you need to, it's not about you impressing them with like, who do you know or what do you do? It's about how, how can you bring value to that company? And so what I did was I got out like a notepad program, was a really, and then I screen shared and I just like listed out all of the things that I could do for them. So I was like, I can give you data analytics and grow in social media. I can create content for you. I can uh, work with uh, influencers for you uh, to, you know, and I can create branding for you because creating branding and creating content is two different things. Uh, and like making, making a voice for your company so that it's consistent and it makes sense. Uh, so like, for example, our branding is not like hardcore, like there's too many like slasher, hardcore gory like gore like kind of like ideas of horror um right. like halloween <laughs> the movie uh like bloody disgusting fangoria they already do that and so like i was like okay we're gonna do the late teen we're gonna do like nightmare before uh, christmas we're gonna do beetlejuice we're gonna do stranger things like that's the kind of horror we're gonna do are you afraid of the dark and scary things to tell in the dark like kind of that like nostalgic childhood uh, and but also make it positive. So it's like creepy, it's scary, it's unsettling, but it's not like gory or like super scary. And uh, that has worked super well because there isn't like much, like there isn't much companies that are going that angle in the market like right now. And so and yeah. it was like actually Ted that wanted to do like spoopy, like <laughs> cute, scary. And I was like, okay, like I agree. <laughs> that wasn't my idea. That was his. <laughs> yeah, I remember when the you know the. He, he messaged me and said like, Hey, you know, we're changing some of the branding and like, here's the new logo. Mm -hmm. And I, I immediately was like, yeah, that's the direction to go in. Because as you said before, like a, 
Dread X kind of just looked like any other website that does horror stuff. It didn't really yeah. stand out as much. Yeah. So to have that, and this is really basic marketing shit, but you have to stand out somehow. You have to look <laughs> different than every other thing yeah. that's trying to sell something adjacent to what you're selling. So do you then define like what kinds of products you're going to sell? Like, so do you have a Absolutely. say in, okay. Yeah. So, like, so go ahead. No, I guess my question is like, um, if, if you're looking at a game and it doesn't fit that particular, you know, like if it does have gore and slasher shit in it, like, does that not work for the company at all now? Do you not put that in a Dread X collection because it's not like on that brand or? Uh, well, when it comes to the collections, we, I basically, I'm just like, I don't, <laughs> I don't care too much, you know, when it comes okay. to the collections, because the collections, there's so many different games uh, that the developers are able to do a lot of weird experimental and like, they're, they're able to like flex their, their skills of creativity when they're doing our collections because they're not beholden to like one product. And so that one product has to sell to, that's like a lot, like a lot of heavy stuff, but there's several different things that different people can try and people, different people have different tastes. Um, personally, I love all of the games and like, I think all of them were the best because I know the developers worked really hard on it. And I know their thought process and like the reasons for why they made the game that they did. And since I respect the developer's vision, like I like all the games. But there, there. For example, there's a one of our most popular. Okay, so I'll, I'll do this first one. Scythe Dev Team did the game called To the End of Days. Yep. I don't know if you saw that, but it's probably your goriest game in the the second collection. Um, people's heads explode. Like there's blood, and you've got an axe, shotgun, and you're just like destroying cultists left and right. Okay, it's a pretty violent game, and we're like, cool. Like me and Todd are like, this is fun, awesome. Like get cinematics. Okay, cool, awesome. And, but then there's also Sucker for Love. <laughs> and at first I was like worried because I'm like, is this an actual hentai game? Oh, like, cause you know, it's a dating game about you're dating Cthulhu yeah. and uh, she's got a bodacious body. <laughs> she's very curvy, but she's got a, like a, a tentacle face. Like it's a Cthulhu squid face. And the developer Akabaka was so worried. He's like, oh my God, do people think she's ugly? Like, do people not like her? And cause she's like green. <laughs> And she's got like tentacle arms and tentacle legs. <laughs> uh, and but we're like, no, no, you you drew her. She's very anime. Like it works, and it did. Like it, it's like absolutely stupidly popular. <laughs> and because she's like a squid face and not like a normal like anime girl, I think that that makes her even like more different than like other uh, anime dating games. It is um, the one and only. <laughs> Uh, waifu game I've ever touched ever <laughs> and probably will be the only one unless it's a sequel so. yeah I'm not into those either <laughs> so um, yeah I totally get you but that's the beauty of that game it's like it's not just about dating her like there is like there is spoopy scary parts to that game like there is like a tension there and that is actually scary and like he doesn't think so <laughs> it's really funny talking to him he's like but uh, I'm like compared to like most other visual novels like this has more mechanics and uh tension in it than like others which is just like you know like school high school drama uh mm -hmm. and, instead of like the end of the world which is literally his game <laughs> i i've played everything uh from both collections and oh. a lot of other stuff that the many developers that i've either learned about or followed into those like i've played their other stuff as well and mm -hmm. 
No, I really love, like I've told Ted numerous times, like I love the whole concept of the Dread X collection. Like I, I, I described it as like, it's CBGBs, but for horror developers. And, you know, eventually there's going to be like this alumni class of like, they were in the Dread X collection back in the day kind of thing. It, it's such a cool way to like get their names out there and to promote them while also promoting yourself and your own brand. Uh, but I guess like uh, when you're marketing something like that or any game for for these guys i don't know like i, I don't want to get too far into like what the plans are because i feel like you're uh, not allowed to talk about a lot oh i Maybe can with, i i okay. want to because i i want to help developers like that's that's been my whole shtick is that i've had the same conversations over and over again with companies that are paying me with consulting to students that i'm talking to in colleges like and also talking to veterans who have done the same thing for like 10 years at a AAA studio, then they want to become indie and they don't understand like what they're getting themselves into from AAA to indie. Cause it is very, it's both game development, yeah. but it's all very different game development because you don't have like a, a huge marketing budget and you're all by yourself. Now you don't have all that support and you don't have the IP, which is like the branding from like the bigger games that you've worked mm -hmm. on. So you don't have that Resident Evil IP. So and nobody cares about your IP. Like you're, you're creating these new characters. You're creating this new world. How do you get people to care about that? Right. And so with the Dreadx collection, everything is very intentional. It seems very logical. It seems like, well, of course, Dreadx collection would do that. But like, actually, it's very, I have to sit down and really think about like, what does the audience actually care about? What do I need to focus on? I don't have all the money in the world. I don't have all the time in the world. Me and Ted are the only full-time employees of Dreadx. So mm -hmm. um, I, I, we have to like spread a lot of the, the jobs between us. And also working with all these developers means we have to work with a lot of personalities and a lot of uh, insecurities and like, you know, good times, bad times, like all of that stuff. Like we're very personable because not only like I consider like our customers like also our developers because I want to make sure that they when they work with us that they like us and that they're enjoying the process and that they want to come back and they want to tell other developers that uh, it was great like I got paid I made some friends I got a community somebody marketed my game for them we give them QA you know all of that stuff so getting into the plan specifically of your question of like what is Dreadx is doing is that eventually we are, uh, and I told this to many people, we are doing bigger games. We're not just doing yeah. the collections. This was all a big experiment. Nobody has done this before. Like I, I could not go to any of my friends that work at like, I have a whole discord of community and marketing people and PR people that I can talk to about like, what would you do of X, Y, and Z, right? I can't do this in a lot of the situation because nobody's done these collections like this before. So I'm inventing all of this. I'm just like <laughs> throwing darts on the wall and hoping that they they make it. I'm like, please make this tweet work. Like, please make the likes. <laughs> and thankfully, thanks to formatting and like the artists that I hire and like my vision of like how I want things to, to look on social media, how I want things to be on Discord and how I want it to tie into the games, like it seems to the my vision seems to like come together. Uh, I mean, and Ted too. Like I have to talk with Ted. We have to agree on like is this vision right? Okay, yes, it is. Great, let's do this. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, like we have to be consistent with each other. I can't just do things on my own. Like Ted needs. Uh, we need to approve of each other's ideas and make sure that we're we're collectively making this work. I don't know if this is making any sense, but for no, Jedi it is. <laughs> We are making bigger games eventually because this is just to see. We just wanted to get games out there. If we just sold a bunch of smaller, we just gave a bunch of developers money and told them to make games, it wouldn't work. Like it has to have a structure to it. 
And if we just had one developer one make one big game in two months, that also wouldn't work. So the only way that Ted could see to make games like as quickly as possible to and, and have people actually want to buy it is like the collections and how they worked out. And right. then with like my marketing know-how, like I actually got people to care about it. And a lot of that also has to do with like all the connections and contacts that I have in the industry that I've made over the years, like leading up to me working at Dread XP. So I can call in like a lot of favors to a lot of developers and be like, hey, could you like look at my game and tell me what you think uh, and content creators? Cause I am, you know, I do, I'm a Twitch partner. So I knew a lot of content creators. And so, you know, I, I use my personal brand to help market the games. So that's why it's important to do both. <laughs> so my, my question essentially is like, um, the way I, the way I'm looking at it from the outside and just kind of analyzing okay. it, it thinking like putting my business cap on, mm-hmm. you guys are, you know, in this position now where you've, you know, done business with a bunch of really talented game developers. And so mm-hmm. then it seems like the natural next step is to pick the ones that you like best and have them either do a full length version of like for me. Okay. If I were going to hire somebody, I'd be like, all right, Malik, you fucking finish the outsiders and get after it. And here's a team and here's a budget and here's the time period and do it. Um, is that the sort of thing we can expect or is, is there a, a more broad plan? Um, well, we're going to have a showcase at the end of this mm-hmm. month, uh, which is on Halloween. We will have a showcase on YouTube. So if you follow like dreadxp.com, then you'll, uh, you know, you'll get, I'll also post it on the discord and social media. Um, so Yeah. And so in the showcase, that's when we're going to show like the projects that we're going to do next. And I'll just say that uh, one of the games is something you're the first game we're going to the big game we're going to come out. Like, I can't say what it is, obviously, who we're working with, but I'll say that'll be very surprising. (laughs) But this developer has already been working on the game for a while. And then um, we're going to have a completely new IP. It'll be a developer we worked with before, but a new IP. Just so we're clear, this will air after Halloween. So you can. Talk about oh. it in the past tense. Oh, sweet, sweet. Okay. Yeah. So if you saw the Dread XP showcase, <laughs> <laughs> then you'll see that we did, uh, we showed three projects. One's a brand new IP uh, that like, it's a developer we've already worked with, but we're really, that we asked them to come up with like a totally new concept for us, like uh, so that we can like start fresh with that one. One of it's a, a game from one of our collections that we are expanding to. And then uh, one of them is from like the, the person was already halfway through development and they just needed some money. They just needed uh, some push because there's a lot of, again, solo developers out there that have games, but they don't know what to do with them. And they want a publisher, but they don't know what to ask for the publisher. They're not sure what the plan is. Uh, and I just right. want to say that it's incredible. Like me and Ted have to turn down people all the time. We have to turn down voice actors. We have to turn down writers. We have to turn down like people, like technical people, because we just don't have enough money or time to do all of the projects that we want to do. It's our first year. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. we have to, we have to turn down a lot of our, de- almost all of our developers, like say that they, they're really excited about our games. They like their game. They'd like to expand them. And, but we have to be very strategic. We can't have too many projects because then it would be telltale and then we shut yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. So a business, you know, you can't expand too fast in business. So you have to like be able to handle what you have like right in front of you, but make sure that you go deep and not wide and make sure whatever it is that you have, that you know what to do with it, like how to get that audience and how to sell it so that you can make more money so that you can uh, do like future products. No, that all sounds e- exactly correct to me. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I am looking forward to h- seeing more about this past tense thing. 
<laughs> yes. But no, it's, it's so cool. What's uh for like, just particularly with you, like what's it been like uh, working with Ted? Cause I Ted, love Ted. I, Ted is like absolutely one of the best people ever. Um, he, I think cause he's had like, both of us have had a very rough life. And mm-hmm. for me, it was like being a woman in the game industry was really tough to, and also like wanting to do marketing. Like it just, nobody took me seriously. And I felt like I had to claw my way to any sort of semblance of respect. And, um, and yeah, it was just like really difficult to get recognized for him. Um, he loves to talk about, uh, you know, the fact, you know, he was a former addict, you know, and he, every single podcast we do, he talks about it. So this is not news. If you've heard Ted talk about it this before, uh, and that's his way of dealing with it. Right. It's just like, you know, Hey, this is my story. And honestly, some of them are fucking hilarious stories. Like, yeah, that's what I enjoy about it. It He's like, uh, like Joey Diaz. (laughs) <laughs> just talking about like, well, back in the day, I used to do blow off of hookers. And- <laughs> For him, it's uh, I used to sleep in dumpsters. Like that's his yeah. tagline. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ted. I used to sleep in dumpsters. <laughs> uh, yeah, he does have a lot of hilarious stories, but it's all good because it was all a learning experience, and it made him a, it made him have gratitude. It made him appreciate people. It makes him have empathy for other people, um, and that that makes him like a great person to work with. And I, when he hired me, he just wanted a community manager, somebody to make content. But then, mm-hmm. like, once I, you know, he realized, like, oh, she has contacts and she knows how to do business stuff. Like, basically, we became business partners because I was telling him what to do a lot of the time. But he was also telling me what to do. <laughs> so it was, like, a very, like, like codependent relationship because there's both, like, skill sets we needed from each other. And, like, for example, he's very extroverted. And so he's really good at dealing with just the people in general making them feel secure with themselves, making them feel comfortable with like what they're doing. And then, uh, you know, for me, it was just like, you know, spreadsheets, organization, uh, all the non-fun stuff. (laughs) It's like much better to talk with people about like their day-to-day and just make them feel comfortable than it is to put together analytics. (laughs) That's for sure. And so, yeah, we just appreciate each other's like skill set, and we compliment each other well. Ted is like wonderful. And he's also, he is really funny. He's very charismatic. And I think the the best thing about him is like, he knows how to give a compliment and yeah. uh, he knows how to make people like feel good about themselves. And I really, yeah, I just admire him about that. And also he works hard. Like both of us have an insane work ethic. <laughs> we both go hard and like, like in a way that like nobody else does because it's like our business and we wanted to see it succeed. So we're going to go like the extra mile and, and like basically all the stuff that you don't see <laughs> we do, but it's still needed. What I like the most about Ted is that he feels like a relic from an age that no longer exists. Like the way that he interviews people is very much in that old, you know, like almost a radio broadcaster style interview and, you know, talking in a certain way. And he has a certain, like, I don't know. He just has a certain charisma that you don't see a lot in uh, content creators today. Or if they do, it feels contrived. Like it feels like they're trying to imitate it. And he's, he feels such like such an honest person. Like, this is like if you start off a conversation like I used to sleep in dumpsters, we're on the same, <laughs> you know, we're on the same playing field at that point. But it's really cool, and I, I think that as you said earlier um, about you know using your personal brand to help promote your brand brand is huge because you know with people like you and people like Ted, when people have a, a warm fuzzy feeling about you guys, uh, that makes me want to support your projects. Okay, so back in, like, we'll do, yes, that's all true. And I want to add a 
what you just said. So back in, I'd say like five years ago, the industry was completely different place. So yeah. if you're watching things like there's this like indie game, the movie is where a lot of people are like, this is what a game dev is like. That was made in like 2012, I think. So um, that's completely outdated look of like how the industry works. And back in those days, people wanted E3. They wanted the commercial game dev. They wanted that AAA polish that sort of thing. Nowadays, people want memes, they want relatability, they want humans because people feel screwed over with like microtransactions and live services and the lack of like sing single player games and and like greedy game dev companies, uh, not indies because indies, <laughs> you know, can't get away with the stuff that uh, like Rockstar and EA can. Yeah. So, so like, if you want to succeed in this day's world, do not act like a like a corporation. Don't act like a robot. Don't rock like, like work like an entity. Like you have to be a human and be relatable. And uh, and just like look at like how again like how Wendy's does their like nobody cared about hamburgers like in Wendy's or whatever. But like the fact that they're really snarky and they have a personality helps them sell burgers, which sounds really counterintuitive. But it does work because it, it makes them it makes people interested in them. Yo, I think Travis Scott is a fucking genius. Like, yeah, putting your name on a McDonald's burger like that's very. <laughs> I mean, what what is he doing? He's like, he's promoting himself as a rapper by putting his name on Reese's Puffs and <laughs> and on McDonald's. And it's almost it's gotten to the point where it's like I wasn't even aware that like, McDonald's couldn't be further from my peripheral. But then like, what? There's a rapper with a McDonald's burger now. Or, or Reese's fucking puff. like my wife buys those all the time and she loves them. And then this like why is he, who the fuck is that? And then you and then people are like looking up him or vice versa. P fans of his are going out and buying that project. It's like genius. But it's exactly what you're talking about. He's like he's selling his personality as a brand to yeah. sell other brands. Yeah. And like people think that that's really like scummy or whatever. But the truth is, is like, do you want to make money? Like that's my question to you. And you can still make money and have integrity too, because plenty of yeah. other, like I'd say, like mid-level triple, like mid-level indie studios, like do that all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, where, yeah, like they, they need to make money, and so they'll do what they can. And you can't. We need to stop like hating each other for trying to make money, okay? <laughs> you know, like for example, for the collections, uh, some people are mad because uh, the haunted PS1 demo disc was free. But like they can't sell that demo disc because first of all, they have to go through logistics on like how do they pay the developers individually for that disc, right? Um, also, who gets the money for the Haunted PS1 disc? Like said so that sort of thing. So there's all this logistics that you have to do when you're creating things like these collections. Uh, also, we pay our developers up front, you know, like we're not just giving them exposure. Um, that's why like there's a difference between a community and a business. And then, but some people were mad at us because we actually charged money for our collections, but we're like, yeah, because we're actually supporting developers here, like uh, financially, you know, like uh, Haunted PS1 obviously supports their developers as well, but we're actually supporting them financially. Um, so it's going to be different, right? Um, but people like just look at games and they think they're all the same. But <laughs> do you want, you know, I don't know, do you like video games? Do you want these developers to make more of these horror games? Then they need to pay their rent. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Our negative comments on Steam is usually like, why aren't these games free? <laughs> yeah, that's just a really, to be frank, immature and not very well thought out point of view. So I don't really pay mm -hmm. any attention to that point of view. Like, 
we get that a lot, especially in my community. Uh, developers that work with the Doom engine will mm. get a mountain of shit if they publish, you know, and try to sell you something from Doom. And we have been like working mm. to change that stigma over time because it's like, oh, you can't, you're not supposed to charge for an open source engine. I'm like, what's the fucking difference in this and Unity or or anything else? It's just yeah. the fact that this person did work to sell you something to give you the gift of playing a piece of art that you want. So, and you just think that they should just do that for free with no regard to like, that's insane. It's not even an argument worth having. It's just com- completely ridiculous. Uh, but to, well, here's the thing. People, people are always logical. Okay. Cause people can make up reasons for everything. So to them, yeah. they're like, well, haunted PS one is free. So DreadX collection should be free. Because it's a collection of games. like to, So logically, I understand what they're saying. But, you know, they don't understand that it's a completely different business model. Because, like, Honda, like Tanta PS1, it's PlayStation 1. They can't actually sell things because of that PS, that PlayStation. Yeah. You know, because Sony will get them. <laughs> and they know that. But also, that's what brings, brings people to the community. Because you understand that they're making, like, uh, PlayStation look like yeah. games that PSX look like PlayStation. Style. Yeah, it has a certain look to it, and so they're just selling the look, but it has that name to it. So it's a, it's like a kind of like a weird catch twenty two with them. And but you know what? It's we, it's all good. Like having like people are like, are they your rivals? I'm like, no, like they're our friends. Like we hired a lot of them to do the third collection. So we love Haunted PS One. We love their games. We love that community. They're fantastic. And they do things differently than we do. That's both needed, like for developers, like basically getting started and like making games themselves. That's a good way to do that is going through that community than just doing it on your own. Um, but like we're here to like make money and to support developers financially and to basically I want to lift up the stigma of like horror games in general because again, like just like movies, just like Hollywood, uh, horror movies are not regarded as fine art as much as like dramas or like period pieces like for example get out did win academy award um but you know midsummer didn't and hereditary didn't and those movies are amazing and artistic the lighthouse didn't (laughs) uh when you know they won awards but it wasn't like the the top academy because horror is not looked at as like fine art and the same thing with games like you don't see horror games as like igf game of the year right uh you see like rpgs do that so like i'm trying to like raise like get rid of that stigma and get people to appreciate indie like experimental indie horror games because that's where like a lot of the creative things are happening in the industry um yeah (laughs) i think that a lot of people just in general you know there's a whole giant majority of people who simply don't want to be scared by the art that they enjoy um but then there's obviously a huge market for the people who do. So is it ever going to be like, could horror ever be the flagship of an art form, you know, like film or games or whatever? I think it is exactly where it's supposed to be. I don't know that there's a stigma to break because you're, if you're selling horror, your people who like horror already know that. And people who don't want that, like, then are you trying to talk them into wanting to be scared? I don't know if that would work. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that because there's games like Gone Home, which is right. actually kind of a horror story, but that was a commercially successful indie game, but it just wasn't sold as a horror story. Gone Home was a game that came out a while ago and there, it, you know, it actually was, you know, I, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'll just say, cause you guys can play it, but it was kind of a horror game. 
And you can even like question like games like Stanley Parable could be a horror game. And games like Dark Souls, which is hugely commercially viable, had horror elements to it. And so people just don't, they need to basically just broaden their perspective of like what horror is because horror is in all sorts of things that they love because it's a, it's a way to create conflict. It's a way to create tension. Obviously, uh, even like GTA, had, like gangs are not a friendly thing. Like being in a gang, Hitman, uh, like you are the monster in Hitman, like because mm-hmm. you are the one killing people. But it's, you know, done in a kind of like a fun, goofy way. And, and horror can be fun and goofy. So I, you're a stalker in Hitman, right? Like you're going around sneaking uh, and like even things like Metal Gear, there's definitely horror, like spooky, monstery things and, and Metal Gear. So people just need to change their, like broaden their definition of like what horror is because you see it all the time. You're just not recognizing it as like fear, but it's a, it is a, a story element that is in uh, a lot of things. Oh, it, I think we're actually on the same, we're just saying different words, but we're on the same page here. It's like, yeah. it, it seems like for what you're explaining that it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of talking people into liking horror. It's a matter of broadening their perspective of what they like. Yes. And, and seeing the horror in things that they already do like. That makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. to me. Okay. Yeah. Huh. That's something to think about. This is like a, every time I talk to a new person on the podcast, I go through like this insane learning experience where I have to like <laughs> reconfigure my brain about opinions that I had. Like, uh, I don't know. What, what are you looking for in terms of, all right, Dread X is going to sell a game. Will it be? more of these like like gone home style things where it's like not necessarily branded as horror or will, will it be like, cause it, cause the brand right now, as I see it is, and as I'm sure as many fans mm-hmm. see it is like, that's the horror game place. Um, there will be some subversion. Like for okay. example, uh, if you look at games like sucker for love, it's literally pink. That's a pink game. <laughs> it's a very cutesy game. Uh, and so it's, but it's also crossing like, uh, two different kinds of like the, the people that like anime and persona those type of games but also people that like horror like it's crossing the streams and people mm-hmm. love that uh and uh it's kind of like doki, yeah like doki doki literature club is also another example or even like undertale had some moments like that uh <laughs> um sorry what was the specifically the question i want to be very like focused on that that's okay the, the, i guess the question is essentially that is your your vision of the type the type of game that DreadX will sell ultimately? You almost like your response like made me want to change the question. So you're focusing on oh. crossing barriers by blending different styles. Is that fair to say? Yeah, like here's the thing: if you just make a PT clone, if you just make an Outlast clone, or make a Resident Evil clone then people get bored of that. It's already mm-hmm. been done. Like, why would I want to play uh, rip off Outlast? I can just play Outlast, right? I- I've told because this to a lot cheaper. of people. <laughs> well, uh, that's for most people, they already bought Outlast. So it's like cheaper to them to already play the game that they already have than to buy a new indie game that's just a copycat of it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, unless that copycat's really good, you know, unless it's like, so you have to have that hook in the game. So what a hook is, basically, and that's this is what I really care about. It's not whether it's 2D or 3D or what necessarily genre it is. It's like, is the, is it interesting enough that I and I can find an audience for it? So it's something that is familiar but with a twist. So, for example, Binding of Isaac. Binding of Isaac is a ripoff of uh, Legend of Zelda. <laughs> so... 
Uh, he's taken that dungeon areas and the mechanics of Legend of Zelda, the mechanics, which everybody knew those mechanics because like a lot of people played Zelda. So they felt very familiar with it. And the controls were really simple. But with Binding of Isaac, like he's reskinning those mechanics to have like a personal story about his life. Uh, but in a like cartoony, like weird way. And so that game blew up, not just because like, it, oh, it's just a good game. Oh, it's just fun. Like, it's not just about having a fun or a good game, but it's like, it was a familiar mechanics, but like with a, uh, a story and themes that people could understand and relate with, if that makes sense. And so that's what I look for and, and pitches because like I have already turned down a pitch because the game was really good. It was awesome. But it was really slow burn. Like the main character was like an everyman. And, and uh, right now in the industry, I also look at trends. Uh, people don't want everyman uh, characters. People want characters that are unique and different and like something different from themselves uh, than, you know, just the typical uh, middle-aged white guy <laughs> that you've yeah. seen. And like, we've seen this before. So people are looking for like different kinds of uh, whatever. You get it. No, it's really um, funny. I, I had like a very similar conversation with uh, Scarecrow when he was on oh. the podcast because he's working on Graven, which is the new Slipgate Ironworks and 3D Realms game. Mm. And he was talking about the you know the kind of rise and fall of the anti-hero stereotype. Yes. Right. Because the protagonist in Graven is like this priest who, you know, and he's very righteous and he's it's kind of like hearkening back to like not an everyman, you know, it's it's definitely a larger than life hero that we can't really expect to be, but a hero who's not like this morally compromised, like daredevil kind of character or uh, the Punisher, right? Like the Punisher was really yeah. big there for a while. And that was like this, you know, this character who is supposed to be a hero, but he's also a maniacal murderer. And I don't know, it's very interesting to me, that, as you said, like analyzing the trends, because you've said, you know, you're saying uh, people don't want that, you know, people don't want that middle-aged white guy they don't want that you know every man character anymore they want something more interesting but then there's also the same pushback from other people that are like no i want my heroes to be heroes well the thing is like a lot of these people that want heroes to be like i don't know the anti-heroes and all that they, they already have those games you know they're like well i want resident evil it's just like they already have resident evil and they will just go back and play the nostalgia because it's comfy for them so mm -hmm. um, honestly, you can make whatever you want. You just got to know your audience and how to sell it. And if your game has like mediocre mechanics, mediocre character, you know, and it takes like the story is really good because that's what that's what happened with the studio was like the story was good. And that was like, the, but the artwork was just OK. You know, everything else about it was just very like, oh, it works like it is good. But it, it wasn't like. I, I need to be able to sell a game in five seconds. And if I can't sell your game in five seconds, if you can't give me like a punchy elevator pitch, then how am I supposed to do that on Twitter? How am I supposed to get those likes yeah. and people to care about your trailer? If you can't tell me within five seconds that like why it's so appealing. If, if it's just like, look, it's another retro FPS. There's so many retro FPSs. What stands out? Um, also, I just want to say real quick uh, what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> looking at the showcase, like I'm putting it together right now. Uh, Ted is focusing on the Dreadx Collection 3. I'm focusing on the showcase. So, like, we're, we're kind of separate uh, in our own projects right now. And there is, like, Padre series, which is uh, about a priest. There's Lucifer Within Us, which I believe is also about a priest. <laughs> and then you talked about Grieven. And I'm like, what is this? Like, all of a sudden, and, people are... Uh, 3D Realms, uh, not 3D Realms, uh, New Blood has Faith, too. That's right, also yes! about a priest. Ah! <laughs> So priests are in. We, we can all agree. Priests are in. <laughs> I, 
I'm an ordained minister. If anybody's looking for a, uh, someone to perform their wedding ceremony, you, you can have the end the key yeah. wedding with the Catholic <laughs> logo in the background. Like, <laughs> sell it, man. Make that money. <laughs> Hustle. Yes. <laughs> so is John St. John. John St. John is an ordained minister. Uh, Duke Nukem <laughs> will perform at your wedding if you want. Uh, I mean, some people love that. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, my watch is going off. It's okay. Um, I, I can take care of it with the magic of editing, or I'll just leave it in for atmosphere. Okay. Yeah, it's every day at it's one ten o'clock. o'clock you're <laughs> one o'clock, so you wake up at one p.m. <laughs> no. um, um. Anyway, back to what you're saying. Priests are in. We know that you're, you're focusing in, on uh, the collect. Sorry, Ted's focusing on the collection. You're focusing on the uh, the showcase itself. Yes. Okay. So basically the reason why, first of all, the showcase wasn't my idea because I, I, I was afraid because Haunted PS1 did something called Eek 3. We, we have a lot of crossover with our community, obviously, why I keep talking about it. Um, but Eek 3 was like obviously E3, but like spooky. And they, it was fantastic. It was really good. And but and then also Wholesome Games, like the, the leader of that community also did Wholesome Direct, which is like Nintendo Direct. And so there's been a lot of indie showcases. Obviously, Realms 3D had their own. Uh, and so I'm trying, like, I wanted to make sure that I distinguished myself from them. And so if you've already seen the, the showcase, that's awesome. Uh, you say it's going to definitely air. This is going to definitely air afterwards, right? Yeah, I control when it airs. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'll sign an NDA if you need me to, like, if you just want to talk about it. I, I don't yeah, care either way. I, I will say that, like, so the direction that I, I did choose for the showcase was doing a pixel art, like a pixel art narration and having it more like medieval, because that's also the theme of Dreadx Collection 3 is to, uh, you're in a castle and you're walking right. through a castle. And like, that's the the hub world is like the graveyard, like the courtyard uh, and you're, you're you know, going to the graves and like lighting a candle and then the ghost pops up and then that's how you play the games. And so like, I wanted to do a medieval theme also for, because like a lot of horror games are like, uh, medieval like there's a lot of spooky things like dark souls uh that happens uh <laughs> it was a dark time in human history so it works out really well and then also i wanted to do pixel art because i haven't seen any other showcase do pixel art and uh there's a lot of like amazing pixel art out artists out there that like I, I like wanted to see if i could like work with them so uh i feel like that you know basically distinguish yourself because i wanted to actually have a narrative to it like a, some sort of story to it instead of just like here's some like cool pretty graphics you know uh like i was watching the playstation showcase and it was just like very sterile it was very like just meh and everyone like was like what is this like what is going this is like so like sci-fi and like strange and uh and that works for sony because they are like a big corporation but like for us like i couldn't just make generic art like generic horror halloween stuff i think would have been pretty boring yeah no, it's again, that, that's why I gravitate toward the kind of not necessarily grassroots, but like mm -hmm. the lower to mid or independent developers, because not mm -hmm. only do they are they the ones that need help and are accessible, but yes. that's definitely part of it. But also that it, it's not this soulless endeavor, you know, yeah. it's it's this real you know person behind that keyboard that's concerned honestly and truthfully with what you think of their products mm -hmm. and uh, 
I don't know why. Like that doesn't even take marketing. That's just like a, a feeling in my soul that I have. And I think a lot of people also feel that way. Earlier you said, you know, how the, the industry right now, people, you know, they want that personal connection. They want, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's what people wanted all along. They just didn't know that, you know, because it wasn't made available to them until like this recent era of, you know, social media and Twitch streaming and the, the ability to access the content creator directly. Uh, you had to rely on corporations to have that voice to be able to distribute it, period. Yeah, gate, the gatekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, the and, and so right now, the gatekeepers are now being influenced by indie games. Like, indie games mm-hmm. are somewhat influenced by AAA, but mostly AAA is now recognizing the power of indies. So, for example, there's ID Xbox that is a, a you know, subset, like a subcompany of Xbox that only focuses on indie games for, you know, Game Pass. And they have like a whole YouTube channel of just helping indie developers. And everyone at, you know, in that company is super passionate about indies and they, they act and feel like indies. Like when, when you talk to them, it, it just, it feels like any other, but they just happen to have like the, the ID Xbox, like logo on what it is that they do. So they're using the branding from Microsoft to help propel them. And they, they genuinely care. And I feel like that's because like, again, like NDs keep making experimental cool things. They're more interesting. They're able to do things faster. But when you do like AAA with PlayStation, like they do care about like their graphics and what they're doing, but like they also have to go through politics and bureaucracy. <laughs> While indies don't have to do that, they can just make like their own vision. Uh, but when you go th- and when you go through like corporations, like people think that being sterile and corporate is the way to go because that's how that people make money. But no, they make money from like all these other strategies that they do. Uh, <laughs> how indies make money is like you said before, uh, having a clear vision of what they want. And me and Ted have a lot of vision. Like we're not just like uh, doing whatever. Like we really like know what we're doing, and we have we're putting things into a boxes that we want to put into. And then releasing them in the way that we we think is like interesting that people will like. Uh, and also like I also like if you wa- I can't wait for you to play uh, Dreadx Collection Three. Obviously after this airs, like you'll play it at Dreadx Collection Three. <laughs> uh, maybe that can be a different conversation of like what you think about it. Uh, but it's the story con- uh, concludes with like the with the three collections. Like there is a, a somewhat of a conclusion to that story. It's also open ended in case we make more. <laughs> But um, there is a, you actually see the characters, like the Leo Wiggins, who's been like a voiceover the last like two collections. Uh, you kind of see more of who he is as a character and as a person. And uh, like what's been going on with these collections, like what has this been like leading up to? So I'm really excited mm-hmm. for you to say that. And I will say that Ted is on a limb with this. Like it, the story is very esoteric. It's very out there. It deals with like big metaphorical like issues and questions, but also like basic yeah. human psychology. And I'm just like, all right, Ted, you know, you pop off, you know. <laughs> Every everything with Ted is tied to like the big, you know, the there's something bigger than just me in the you know involved. Yeah, in this. it's all. Yeah. One yeah. one day we're gonna find out that he's like, who's that? The guy from Blink One Eighty Two. He's like, yeah, I uh, I have regular meetings at the Pentagon with war generals talking about UFOs <laughs> like that. <laughs> Oh, Ted no, would love that. <laughs> For all we know, that's what he's doing right now. Like, <sighs> um, yeah, I'm really excited. I think people are gonna gonna love it. The, the like the medieval castle theme, the esoteric like weird storyline. Um, it's something like there's something to really like 
dig your teeth into. But also if you just like want to play games, like you got that too. Like <laughs> you can do it however you want. So to, are you, have you seen the episode of South Park where Jimmy is asked to, it's basically a spoof of Blade Runner, Runner but he has to talk to this girl in a room who is an AI and he's got to determine, you know, like he's, he's basically guessing like what's an ad and you know, what's not an ad. And then he realizes at some point that the girl talking to him is an advertisement herself. She is designed like, like the Twitter AI to try to sell you something. Mm -hmm. So I'm hesitant to like what you were bringing up about like the, the Xbox indie forums. I'm certain that the people who are hired to run that program, right. Mm -hmm. Are very passionate about what they do. I'm, also certain that they probably turn out a really good product but i'm also scared of project products like that because ultimately what i see is the corporation has seen what works you know for everyone else that's not them and is just going to then extract that route of money by using its bigger outreach program to do that so then it becomes a question and this is not a criticism it's just like a is it is it good that they are helping get those, you know, independent people a uh, platform that they can sell their shit on? Or is it bad because they're sticking their bendy straw into their souls mm. and slurping it all out? I don't know. I, I don't see that problem with you guys at all. Like that's that's what I'm getting at. That's where I stand in general. Yeah. I, I've loved literally from the first night that I played Outsiders uh, before DreadX1 came out to right now, I've loved everything you guys have done. And I just genuinely think it's awesome. And I, if people haven't already picked up DreadX3 uh, upon hearing this, I hope that they rush out immediately and go buy it. Because it's a really fucking cool project. Thank All the way you. around. Yay. Thank you yeah. so much. No problem. I, uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just, I just hope that uh, you like our future stuff too, like what we come up with. We hope that we keep that momentum going and keep making cool stuff. Yeah, something I've talked about numerous times on the show, and I don't know, I, I, I have to separate myself and my way of thinking from how I think other people think because I know they're not always the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very much like a loyalist person. I, you know, I'm the kind of guy who finds a barber and I like that barber, and I don't mm-hmm. go to any other barber. Like so. I'm already sold on DreadX. If you guys put out a game, I'm probably going to get it. And then if I don't immediately (laughs) like it, I'm going to then have this psychological battle with myself where I say like, no, 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 no. I trust them. I need to reassess my thought process. So that's a good thing, you know, for you. Maybe not for me. Maybe it'll drive me insane one day and I'll be like living in a, I'll live in a dumpster. But (laughs) I don't know. That's a, that's a beautiful thing about, brands like this is that you know you've created a a personal relationship with your audience where like i feel not obligated not like you have a gun to my head but i feel like i i have a personal investment in wanting to support everything that y'all do that's fantastic yeah that's exactly like what we want um and it's also not by accident (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so you worked you're an ad i knew it all along Yeah, you, you kind of, like, that's why, like, there is a stigma over ads, but I've been, like, saying it throughout this podcast, like, sometimes you need to be a shill. Some, like, you you did suffer uh, Realms Deep. You weren't like, sorry, Realms Deep, I can't sell myself, you know, like, I'm a purist. Like, you're not, you're not like, no, like, no, please listen to my I'm podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm like, 99% of the time on this show trying to talk 
indie developers into like, no, fucking make your money. Like, do anything you can to pay yourself for what your work is. Like, do not ever underestimate your own value. Because I see so many people do that. You know, they sell a game for a dollar because they're like, "Eh, I don't really have a... Uh, an audience i don't think i'm worth it i'm like yeah but if you know the same number of people if it's you know a thousand people bought your game and really liked it and they felt more invested in it like if they if i pay a one dollar for a game and it's a pretty good game okay oh my investment in that personally was one dollar if i paid 10 bucks for it then my investment was ten dollars and i see a higher value in that product like that's how the human brain works and it's very difficult to make someone who is an artist understand that sometimes yeah i i never went to business school i did go to art school and uh if you're an artist by yourself they don't teach you that but art school they do at art school they're like be a shill like be (laughs) be a business uh sell yourself you can do it with with integrity and plenty of plenty of people are indie devs that are making lots of money um they don't they won't tell you how much money they make but they've made lots of money dust has made lots of money (laughs) new blood has made money and uh they're great they're fantastic it's a you know they're a perfect example that you can do both at the same time have a great community and uh like be like authentic and that's what people are looking for they're looking for that authenticity and maybe with xbox you just don't feel that way from xbox which is like understandable because it's like a big umbrella and honestly, all of these, the big three companies, it all depends on who is working at those companies. There's people mm-hmm. in those companies. It's not just, people are like, they're a corporation, so I'll just pirate their games because I don't care. But there actually is people that work there that get paid by these companies. And they determine the programs and how they're run and um, and all this other stuff. And so the problem is, is like when those people leave, I, hopefully the replacements have their same values and their same skill sets, but that, that doesn't always happen. That's the problem. Yeah. Uh, if I, I mean, coming from my career background and also just, it's, I don't want to get too Joe Rogan on you, but uh, I like a, it. a corporation, right, is a, or any large organization mm-hmm. is exactly like that. If you, okay, if I walked into, I'm, I'm an executive at, at, I don't know, Xbox, right? Or let's go further. I'm an executive of X, X, Exxon and I, sell gasoline. And I walked into the corporate meeting today in the morning and I said, guys, it is morally wrong to uh, sell gasoline and continue to pollute the earth. We all make billions of dollars every day and we can afford to not do that anymore. So we should put all of our efforts into not doing that. I would be fired and replaced by lunch. Guaranteed. Yeah. No question about it. That is the issue with these you know, major corporations is that you can, you, there's no one driving that wheel. It is a super organism. It has its own, um, the corporation itself, it, it's kind of hard to think about it this way from a human perspective, but it has its own consciousness. It does, it, it treats people within it like they are cells in a body. And it will just, when you're no longer useful toward its goal, get rid of you and replace you. And so then a corporation's job is to just make money. And it's not necessarily to be, I mean, moral or, you know, soulful or, you know, have that real honest connection with its audience. I don't trust it to do that because that is not what it wants. Um, so even when you say like, you know, there are people who work at this corp and I want to support those people. Yeah. But I do, I do know at the back of my mind that I'm not really supporting that person. I'm supporting the interest of that corporation. Yeah. I mean, and that that's why like, you can't just let the system use you. You also have to use the system and like, exactly. 
use it to your advantage because it doesn't do you any favors from, uh, again, like being a purist or being, uh, and I just want to say like, I've worked at almost all indie companies. I haven't worked at a AAA company and mm -hmm. a lot of indie companies have done the exact same thing as those big corporations have done. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with like, they don't know how to run a business and they're very incompetent. <laughs> and, and so they, they just don't know how to, and because they don't know how to run things, they get, they get scared, they get panicked and they are very abusive towards you. Mm -hmm. And this is not just me. This is a lot of people I've talked to uh, and like smaller indie dev teams. to so like midsize indie, you know, I won't say who obviously, <laughs> But I'll just say that, like, if you're going to work in the game industry, be very careful. Uh, but also, like, being a solo developer is not a walk in the park either, right? Like, you're going to, you're just, they're always going to have problems no matter what. You're just trading some problems for others. Right. And at DreadX, like, DreadX, like, that's why, like, Ted and I are, are trying to make this company with as much integrity as possible, where everybody feels, like, welcome and happy. Everyone's paid. And, <laughs> uh so yeah, I just, okay. I just want to say like, I remember working for this one guy at a small company. There was like four people at this company, but he was also a Silicon Valley, you know, tycoon at the same time, but he just had a small company. And I thought because he made money, he was in, you know, he understands the, the like all that other stuff that he would take care of me, especially since it's a smaller company because he would get to know me as a human and he'd want me part of his team. And he ended up uh, cutting my pay within two months. <laughs> uh, cutting my pay in half and I was shocked and when two months after that he just fired me and I was just like oh okay I see what he does like to him his business is like a a game to him it's like a hobby to him because he's already made his millions of dollars he already made yeah. his investment so this company is just like a, a cute little side project for him to do like something to pass the time he doesn't actually he does actually need to make money he doesn't actually care about the people working for him he has no like stakes or whatever. So like he just treated me like a pawn and it, his on his chessboard. And I was like, oh, this is a good learning experience. Okay. Like this is awful, but <laughs> yeah. um, so like keep just keep that in mind, everybody, when you're like looking for jobs, like it's, you know, those kind of situations do happen. Well, no, uh, we've had the same kind of internal conversation within the, the keep, right? Like when mm -hmm. I talk to you, my associates and the people that I work with, you know, we look at, you know, what, what's worth supporting as a community? Like, and that's, that's not even a financial investment necessarily. It's yeah. just like, what's worth our time to promote. Yes. And I've said the phrase multiple times about, you know, a particular game or a particular developer, like that guy's not hungry. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is not his magnum opus. This is not, or she, you know, either way. This is not what they're working on with every fiber of their being and every, you know, passionate, every ounce of passion they have is not in this. And if it's not, then their game will not be successful or their, yeah. whatever it is that they try to do just won't be. And that's because, I don't know, to me, if, if I don't feel that passion, I'm not interested and I don't want to buy your product. Exactly. You can't be mediocre. Yeah. yeah it's just this empty, soulless thing. And I don't, I don't want to hear... Britney Spears, I want to hear fucking like <laughs> some guy who poured his heart and soul into making the best goddamn guitar solo he could or the or whatever. And that's what's important. You know, the blues, jazz, not uh just I don't know, algorithms that determine, okay, how do we get the you know the largest possible group of people to pay attention to this and then mm -hmm. sell small amounts of it 
everywhere. You know, that's what Walmart does. That's, that's not what I want. I want to walk into a shop and buy a Boston cream pie from a guy who has been spending 80 years of his life perfecting his recipe for the mm-hmm. Boston cream pie. Like Handcrafted. that's so much more rewarding. Yeah. 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 Um, that's why I tell developers is like, I asked them, I was like, why do I care about your game? And they're like, well, yeah. because I made it. And I'm like, that doesn't mean nothing to me. Like I literally tell yeah. people all the time, well, I've been making games for 10 years. I don't care. Well, I used to work at this big company. I don't care. Like, <laughs> uh, well, you know, my game is about dogs. I don't care. You know, like, I mean, I love dogs, but like you're just cause your game has dogs on it. Doesn't mean I actually like want to play it. So, or like, that's like, people are like, I made a retro FPS and I'm like, cool. But what about this retro FPS is different because you have, you're in a market and Mm -hmm. people are going to compare your game to other games. That's just going to happen. So you need to know what makes your game good. Like what makes it interesting. And you also need to explain that as quickly as possible. Uh, (laughs) And also like, so get in the practice of pitching your game. Don't get just like, oh, this is too difficult. I'm going to go back to fixing like bugs or adding a feature to my game. Like that's not going to help you make money. Um, that's going to, I mean, maybe like, you know, it helps to make your game better and polish it up, but what's going to help you make money is like you knowing how to uh, say it in a context that people like understand and get on a relatable level. Yeah. Now that's what I see. That's the value that I yeah. see in forums, like, you know, like this podcast or, you know, any, anything like this where if you've spent an hour and a half listening to a conversation with someone who's, telling you what their passion is, even if they're poor at explaining in it, uh, hopefully, you know, my side of that is to help bring it out of them. And if you've spent that time, you know, getting to know that person, then you have personally invested your time in that person. And then you are more likely to want to consume their, their art or their product. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, God, this has been a really steep learning curve just talking to you for uh, how long we've we been here like an hour hour and 20 minutes sorry but it's overwhelming <laughs> no it's good i'm I'm like yeah. seriously do you have any uh any other topics you wanted to brush over before i get to my closing questions um i just want to ask everybody that if you play if you like a game tell the developer like go on twitter be like, you, dude, I like your game. Like, actually verbally tell the developer because they will appreciate it and they will love it. Um, secondly, please write a review because there, there's a lot of negativity on Steam. A lot of people, like, that will... They, they like the games, but they will still, like, talk trash about it and, like, give you a downvote because they think it's cute and funny. And that hurts the, the developers. It hurts the games. For, you know, for somebody to, to make that, like, ironic joke. Like, they, they think it's harmless, but it's not. So please, uh, if you like the Dreadix collections, <laughs> please leave a review. Uh, it doesn't have to be a five out of five, but... <laughs> um, Just we, be we honest. This, don't, yeah. don't hide behind your shroud. That's what I would say. I will say, too, that we are going to do updates for the game. So if there's any, like, feedback you want to give us, like, please tell us so that we can go fix the game. Like, we have a Discord... And uh, if you go to our Twitter, like we have our Discord, DreadXP, at DreadXP underscore is our Twitter. So if you go there, follow us, go to our Discord. Like we have a feedback and bugs page. Please tell us the feedback. We'll fix the games. We'll update them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So final questions for me. Mm -hmm. 
what are just like some basic run of the mill tips that you would give to someone, someone who's listening to this, maybe they're a content creator, maybe they're a, uh, you know, indie developer, whatever, like to, what are the basic boiled down, like 10 commandments of how to market yourself on social media? Number one, you need to know your value. You need to know what it is that you're giving people. Uh, for example, a lot of Twitch streamers are like, I have a positive community and I play a variety of games. That doesn't tell me anything because everyone does that. If yeah. you're a pretty girl, uh, that, you know, I want to sell like an OnlyFans. Okay, there's a bazillion pretty girls and OnlyFans. So if you're an artist, you know, what makes your art stand out from everyone else? So you need to like see your value. What are you giving people? Um, and if, if you're not, it's either entertainment or it's education. So if, if you feel like your stuff is just like everyone else's and you don't know how to break out of that mold, you don't know how to get, you know, stop being so mediocre, then try to educate people like you've learned something. So and put it in the context that's easy and digestible to learn. That's why so many like YouTube channels do like top five horror movies about uh, pigs. I don't know. <laughs> they have a lot of like top five, top 10, scariest, goriest, you know, interesting, da, 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 da. Like, like lay out your content, like really know what you're about and be focused on it. Like, don't go like all over the place with it. Like, I like this and I also like this and I also like this. Like everyone has like a variety of interests of things that they like. It doesn't mean you need to broadcast that on social media. You need, you don't need to tell your whole life. You don't need to tell all your opinions. Um, I would also, I would stay away from controversy and like negativity because people find that very unattractive and draining to be around. So mm -hmm. try like, I, I know that's like difficult sometimes, especially with like things like politics or whatever, but like, honestly, it's better to keep it to your friends and family in real life or like maybe a private conversation in discord but don't be that guy that's like angry all the time because like all the angry content creators that are like really full of criticism, they build an audience based off of that. And then they have a very toxic audience and the toxic audience will eventually turn on you. So yes, you can blow up fast and people you'll get attention, but it's not sustainable at, if you're trying to make like a business and try to, you know what I mean? To get respect from other people in your industry. Yeah. So. No, I, I talked to my friend, uh, who's a you know content creator recently until like you gotta have a Twitter man like you really should yeah. be a good way for you to get your shit out there and then his immediate response like as soon as he got on there he's like you know I really really like you know seeing other people's art but I really don't like finding out other things about them that I didn't want to know like so you know people who do go on there and just start yammering about politics and that kind of yeah. shit like I don't want to see your politics and your art in the same feed like it's really a huge change. And that you could say one thing that could get someone to just like unfollow you and never learn about your content again. Yep. It could be that simple just because you made one, like, you know, it's your right to have that opinion, but like it doesn't belong here. It's not what people are looking for. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just made that mistake uh, two days ago where uh, somebody said something bad about me, like really nasty. And uh, I was just like, I retweeted, quote retweeted it and then I deleted it <laughs> <laughs> but it, it I was like really upset by it like legitimately like but like but uh for this guy like he's just trying to like be off the back of like some other like celebrity game dev like he's just trying to like cling on to his uh <laughs> whatever you get what I'm saying you know like yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just like really frustrating but I was like I need to be above this because I have a I have a like I actually have a platform here and I can't attack people 
because that just makes me look bad. Like, it doesn't make him look bad. It makes me look bad because I'm the one with the actual platform. So I just deleted it. And uh, and most of the time I don't do that, but sometimes you get weak. Uh, nobody's impervious. Some people get tired and worn out. Of, and because when you have a platform, you have a target. That's what everyone who I know has a verified Twitter says. Like, I'm like, what's the benefit of having a check mark? They're like, there is no benefit of having a check mark except it puts a target on you. And people want to take you down just because you have a check mark. Like, that is just what's going to happen. <laughs> I do not envy the position of any uh, young lady of who's good looking or anything like that trying to be taken seriously on social media because of the way mm -hmm. people act like that. It's just, it's yeah. like, I'm not trying to be a white knight. It's just like, I don't envy that position at all. Like, yeah, people say the most disgusting fucked up shit. And I'm like, how, how could you be so disciplined? They'd be like, you know what? I'm not going to give this any attention. It's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. I don't know, you can ignore it the first 10 times, but like, yeah, Okay, so like I worked for Gearbox for like a month last year uh, to help them with a campaign that I was working with them on and like mm -hmm. doing like Facebook stuff. Oh my God, like that, the comments towards Gearbox was so terrible. Uh, they, they did eventually like have an opening to do like full-time community management. I could not work at Gearbox after doing that yeah. campaign with them because their community was so toxic. And that's not Gearbox's yeah. fault. Everybody at Gearbox is lovely. Like they're actually super nice really good people, but the community was just so ugly and gross. And I had like nightmares, like PTSD from just that like short amount of time working with them because the abuse was so like intense and it was like hundreds of nasty comments a day and a lot of assumptions about game dev in the industry that just were not true, but they all like believed it and were told each other and they, yeah. And so I was like, I, I can't, I can't handle that. So yeah. um, again, be careful with the audience you have and uh, <laughs> it's okay to walk away from social media. And also it's like, if you, if you want to join social media, please mute and block people. I do it all the time. I block people left and right. And <laughs> I don't feel bad about it at all. Yeah. Uh, were there any more of the 10 commandments before I go to the next? Person? Uh, there, there probably is, but not the top of my head. I'll just want to say okay. like, show your value, uh, what it is about you that makes you like, that's actually important. Focus. Uh, don't be negative, like be positive and, and um, practice that. Oh yeah. And everything lives on the internet forever. Everything lives <laughs> on the internet forever. Yeah. People can screenshot you. People can even fake that. And so your character, your reputation is the most important thing because I, I, I can't say names, but I know a developer out there who basically like brushed off people kind of was just like, you know, I'm a big deal. Like I make money. So like I'm important. And then this developer eventually wanted to work with other people yeah. and, uh, and do collaborations. But at this point, everyone's like, like everyone who knows, like everybody <laughs> who's in the know is like, uh, I don't want to collaborate with you because you brushed me off earlier. You know, <laughs> like, I don't think you're a nice person. So like, and now you're nice to me because you want something from me. So yeah. that's why your character is everything. Your reputation is everything. And it's just not worth it to be a jerk. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> All that's right. I, I don't have a whole lot else for you. I okay. think this has been a really cool learning experience. I hope to, this is a, a career field that, you know, is so important to not just the gaming industry, but to, you know, everything in our modern society. And I feel like it goes highly underrepresented. I literally like your story about how you didn't get credited for anything until Dread X2 was like 
what the fuck? Yeah. Um, so I, I want to do more stuff like this too. And you, yeah. you've been a, a very uh, valuable teacher. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. So much appreciated and you take care of yourself. Thank you. And uh, when you see Ted next, give him a big old kiss on the mouth. For Ooh. Me. Wait, no, I can't do that. Oh, no, no, no. Tell him it's for me. No. Okay. Okay. I'll just, I'll just tell him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you very much to Starlight Skies for that incredible conversation. Seriously, I can't express how much I learned. It was so cool. Um, also thank you to everybody who supports the keep specifically our patreon supporters paul moose dots zach alexander brad red eyes anthony robert jack brandy fred you're all incredible i fucking love you the john gakathala loves you and if you're listening to this and you're like yo how do i support the keep head over to in the keep.com and uh sit your ass down on the support tab it's right there We've got all kinds of things. We've got affiliate links for you to click on. We've got Patreon. We've got PayPal, all that. But until next time, yo, keep it short and sweet. Stay in the keep.